Well, if you're not familiar uh, with the story of the wedding feast at Cana, you should be, hopefully. Um, and in the fact that the church gives us this gospel reading today um, to let it sink into our hearts that Jesus' first miracle in the Gospel of John, the beginning of his public ministry, happens at a wedding feast. It's both important in the telling of the story of Christ that John chooses uh, to tell this story so vividly and with these important details, but also that the Lord himself chose this setting, a simple wedding feast at Cana, presumably with people he knew, townspeople, friends of his, um, to manifest his glory. And he did so by changing water into wine. A somewhat strange miracle, not like the rest of his, where they're like healings or um, nature miracles, for instance, calming storms, etc. It's this abundance of spirit, of, of this uh, wine that is obviously crucial to having a party, crucial to having a wedding feast, that the guests have something to drink to enliven their spirits. Um, but unless we understand it in the context of the whole Bible, which begins with marriage and ends with marriage, um, it, it won't make sense to us the full meaning of what's happening here. So the Bible begins with a marriage in Adam and Eve, right? That they're created in God's image. Male and female, he created them. And they are meant for each other, committed, to be commanded to be fruitful and multiply till death do you part. Um, and this, this uh, complementarity, this um, belonging to one another in marriage was meant to be this primordial first sacrament of God's love, basically. It's, it's an epiphany of who God is that they're made in the image, not just individually. They do both have the mark of the image of God in them, in their souls. But together, as a couple, as a family, they're meant to image God and his self-giving love. But as you know, in the beginning, that marriage was broken. The marriage between God and his people through sin is broken. It's the great divorce, if you want. But also between Adam and Eve and through them, the entire human family our marriage is broken up. Our family is dysfunctional. And the way that that manifests itself, symbolically in the, in the story of the scriptures, when Eve confronts the serpent by herself, presumably Adam either isn't there or doesn't fight with her or for her against the serpent and his temptations. She falls for the trick of the devil that God is not trustworthy and to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she does so and um, then has Adam do the same. And Adam immediately blames her, and she blames the serpent, and this whole scapegoating and dysfunctional lack of responsibility and and blaming of the other um, is the beginning of the complete disintegration of the family. And so what what we, that consequence has for all of us, particularly Eve and her daughters, women, tend to have this wound that I am not lovable, or I am alone, or there's something about me that, that is not worth loving, that Adam was not there for her. And so she kind of resents him, and that's often manifested in wounds in marriage. Um, and on the other hand, Adam and his sons, uh, men, tend to think, I'm not good enough, or I, I'm not adequate to the task, or I'm not strong enough to defend her, to provide for her, to protect her. And so... Like, if you listen to any stand-up comedy about the differences between men and women, like, it's some variation on this conflict and the, the mischief that it causes. 
And so if you just read like Mary, Mary and Jesus, who John presents them very self-consciously as the new Adam and the new Eve, Jesus is the new Adam and Mary is the new Eve. Obviously, they're not married to each other, they're uh, mother and son, but they are chaste celibates, both of them. And Mary is married, but in a celibate marriage. She's an, a perpetual virgin. And Jesus is not married. He's celibate and chaste. Um, and yet their relationship, the way that he addresses her as woman, um, both at this miracle at Cana, but also on the cross, for instance, when he says, woman, behold your son to John, she takes on this new um, Eve as the mother of all the living. And Jesus takes on this new Adam role um, to, to protect and provide for his bride. Um, if you were to read it through like the sinful lens of what we would expect if Mary and Jesus were not perfect, <laughs> which they are, Mary coming up to him and saying, they have no wine. It'd be like this nagging, critical, why aren't you doing something about it? You never are take responsibility for anything. You know, like, but she doesn't do that. It's, it's total, utter trust and respect. She comes to Jesus and says, they have no wine. And then she, she does that not to put a burden on him, but to, uh, to affirm him and to ennoble him, to, to show him that uh, you are capable of doing something about this, and I, I bring you this need. And just in her chastity and her charity, sees the need of this couple, that they're running out of wine, and this is going to be a big embarrassment. And the way that Jesus reacts, he says, Woman, how does your concern affect me? My hour has not yet come. If, again, we were to read this through broken marriage and the insecurities of men, you'd think, is Jesus just like, get away from me. Like, I don't want to take responsibility for this. It's not my problem. You're always complaining or whatever. Of course not. He would never talk to his mother that way. He talks to her with, with, with utter respect and love. And also, in this, my hour has not yet come, there's contained in it this understanding that the moment I do this, and you know this, Mom, the moment I become publicly the Messiah, the Son, the Savior, is the moment the die is cast and I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And that ultimately is what he does as the bridegroom of the church. This is where it's all headed, the consummation of his love for his bride, the church. Because marriage was not just supposed to be an image of God's love. It's also, as we read in Isaiah, the image of God's love for us. He wants to marry us. It almost sounds a little weird, like, whoa, God, you're coming on a little strong. Right? But he, that's how much he loves us. The kind of intimate friendship and closeness he wants with us is like a bridegroom to his bride. And that is what Jesus has come to accomplish. And what we see in this interaction between Jesus and Mary, these two chaste celibates, which in the church, isn't it beautiful that we have the tradition of celibacy to not say that marriage is bad or unholy, or if you're really holy, then you've got to give it up, is to inform uh, the true meaning of marriage and what it was meant to symbolize. Just as married couples show celibates a concrete instantiation, a a lived reality of what we are kind of already foreshadowing or living in the tension already of what it's like in heaven to be just totally belonging to God as our bridegroom. So all that is very high theology, but it comes down to this. What we're doing here is the wedding feast. At the Mass, this water turns to wine, if you want. The the wine and the bread that we offer becomes the life-giving body, blood, soul, and divinity of the bridegroom. And blessed are those who are called to this supper. 
The fact that Jesus tells him, fill up the six stone jars containing 20 or 30 gallons worth of water and turns them all into the best wine that they've drunk all week. Okay, there's no limit to God's grace and what we have access to at this altar. Um, the divine life, is, it, it's so fruitful. And that's also why marriage, what marriage is meant to be, is fruitful. Just as celibate chastity is meant to be fruitful. And that we're plugged into God's own life. Um, it's, it's insanely out of this world beautiful if, you, if we're able to just grasp it and to receive it. Um, grasp in the sense of understand, not grasp at the mystery, but to simply say yes to what Jesus is offering. Um, and through his mother, too, the, the simple petition, they have no wine, to come with our needs. Because what, what it means that there is no wine, what Mary is perceiving, not just at this part, one party, but in the world at large, is that we are out of life. We are dying. But not just in the sense of physically dying, but spiritually, in the sense that death is not just decaying, but being isolated, being alone, being out of communion. And what life is, is communion with God. And so what we do here in receiving the Eucharist is come to Holy Communion. I have this tile, very proud of this, Dominum et Vivificantum, which you'll step on as you receive Holy Communion. The Lord and giver of life is the Holy Spirit that consecrates these elements that we bring to this altar and changes them, transforms them, as Jesus changed the water into wine, to give us this life, to be our bridegroom and we his bride um, so that he can die for us, give his body and blood for us so that we, w- we may live.